0: This is your host, Nick Riley, and you're listening to the One Day Advice Podcast. Together, we're going to take a ride inside the world of personal finance. I'm going to give you a fully transparent, behind-the-scenes look into the financial services industry, helping you to optimize your financial life along the way. In today's episode, I'm going to provide an overview of the three major themes within the crypto and blockchain environment. These are some of my favorite things to talk about right now, and I could spend hours discussing it. Uh, but while I will have more episodes that dive deeper into the, each theme, this episode will provide a high level overview of all three major themes. I understand there may be concepts that I mention and just briefly gloss over, uh, but I wanted to only include the core concepts at this stage. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast and continue to listen as we dive deeper into this topic together. So, The three main themes we will address today are DeFi, Web3, and the Metaverse. First, uh, my favorite uh, is DeFi. So DeFi just stands for Decentralized Finance, and uh, there has been a, a a long frustration around our financial system, and this frustration may be loosely correlated to your political stance. However, most would agree that it's far from perfect. DeFi. Is unique relative to the traditional financial system because it is permissionless, provides open access, is global, composable, and transparent. I won't get into the details of all of that right now, but I will in a future episode. The point is, we've reached a point in time where centralized institutions are no longer needed for basic financial actions. In DeFi, you can be your own bank and get credit from code on a blockchain with no institution required the high costs associated with the legacy financial system has spurred the rise of the financial technology industry otherwise known as fintech defi like the internet has done for many industries including commerce will likely make financial services cheaper faster secure and more personalized defi is fundamentally a competitive marketplace of decentralized financial applications otherwise known as dapps That and they provide key functions needed within the financial system, such as the exchange of currencies, uh, savings alternatives, uh, far more efficient lending, uh, and tokenization. These applications benefit from the network effects of combining and recombining DeFi products and are attracting increasingly more market share from the traditional financial ecosystem. And I want to address the five key problems uh, of centralized financial systems. So one, uh, the obvious problem here is the component of centralized control. So centralization is uh, a key factor in this whole movement. Uh, uh, Centralization has many layers attached to it. Most consumers and businesses deal with a single localized bank, which controls rates and fees. Switching is, is possible, but it can be very costly. Furthermore, the U.S. banking system is highly concentrated. The four largest banks have a 44% share of insured deposits compared with 15% back in 1984. The second key problem of a centralized financial system is limited access. Today, there are 1.7 billion people that are unbanked, meaning they don't have a bank uh, to deposit cash into and this makes it very challenging for them to obtain loans and to operate in the world of internet commerce further uh, many consumers must resort to payday lending operations to cover liquidity shortfalls think about payday loans uh, which often come at a very very high interest rate being banked however does not guarantee access for example a bank may not Want to bother with the small loan that a new business requires. Instead, it may suggest a credit card loan, which carries with it a borrowing rate well above 20% per year. And that's an extremely high hurdle uh, for finding profitable investment projects. So small businesses oftentimes have a hard time getting lines of credit or small loans. Uh, And if anything, it could take months in order to get that. DeFi is trying to solve that. The third key problem is inefficiency. A centralized financial system has many inefficiencies. Perhaps the best example is the credit card interchange rate that causes consumers and small businesses to lose up to 3% of a transaction's value with every swipe due to the payment network pricing power. So think of Stripe, Square, uh, Visa, MasterCard, all these different payment processors. will typically charge anywhere from two and a half to three percent, sometimes even more. Uh, remittance fees uh, internationally are oftentimes five to seven percent and you know time is also wasted in the two days it takes to settle a stock transaction. so if you're buying and selling shares of Amazon or Apple, uh, there's typically a two to three day settlement period on that uh, for transfer of ownership and in the internet age, this is often hard to understand how it can be so slow uh, we have grown so accustomed to having things now and that's where financial services has really fallen behind uh, with regards to technology and other inefficiencies include just costly and slow transfer of funds uh, direct and indirect brokerage fees lack of security uh, and the inability to conduct microtransactions. and Uh, Many of these might not be too obvious to to users, but they are uh, inefficiencies all the same. And in the current banking system, uh, deposit interest rates remain very low and loan rates high because banks need to cover their brick and mortar costs. And the the insurance industry provides another example of this. So uh, when you look at banks providing loans for mortgages, if someone was to default on a loan, and go into foreclosure, the bank is also incurring a ton of legal fees and costs associated with selling that property in order to pay down their mortgage balance. And that is extremely inefficient and can be improved with the use of technology. The lack of interoperability is another uh, key problem that DeFi solves. And it's where consumers and businesses deal with financial institutions in an environment that locks interconnectivity. And it's well known that the U.S. financial system is siloed and designed to sustain high switching costs. Moving money from one institution to another can be you know, a lengthy and complicated process. And you know, just as an example, wire transfer can sometimes take up to three days to complete. Uh, While that might be rare for a wire transfer, that is very common for like an ACH type transfer. And there are companies that are trying to uh, make it more efficient. You look at Zelle. So a lot of the larger banks uh, partnered with Zelle in order to use that as an internal network to instantly move funds, uh, much like a Venmo. Opacity is the fifth major uh, kind of key problem that DeFi solves and ultimately comes down to the the current financial system is not transparent. Uh, Bank customers have very little information on the financial health of their bank and instead must place their faith in the limited government protection of FDIC insurance on their deposits. Furthermore, it is difficult for them to know if the rate they are offered on a loan is competitive. It's not that easy to shop around. Although the consumer insurance industry has made some progress with fintech services that offered to find the lowest price. So there are marketplaces. I use policygenius.com uh, for a lot of my insurance needs for you know, life insurance in the form of term insurance. Uh, you can get your umbrella insurance and auto and homeowners or renters insurance all bundled together and they, they operate as a marketplace to find the best rate. And that's something that as DeFi evolves, we'll be able to help solve uh, that process. And I'm personally a huge advocate for DeFi, and I'm excited to see the financial services industry get a facelift. It's about time Uh, people deserve transparency and equality around their finances. So the second major theme in the crypto and blockchain environment is Web3, also known as Web 3.0. It's a term you may have heard thrown around a lot lately. It simply refers to the next iteration of the internet that promotes decentralized protocols and aims to reduce the dependency on large tech companies like YouTube, Facebook, Netflix, and Amazon. I think it's helpful to understand what Web 3.0 is by providing a brief history of the web. Uh, Web 1.0 otherwise known as kind of a static stage or phase uh, version 1 was was it arrived in the late 1990s included links and home pages uh, websites weren't that interactive and there was a lot of money that was being made in buying and selling domain names uh, such as you know companies that had been around for a long time like ford.com uh, someone would you'd swoop up that domain name and then sell it to ford once they uh, were establishing a web presence uh, HTML was the primary language for creating websites back then, uh, and they were mostly static and you really couldn't do much beyond reading or publishing content during this first phase of the internet. And that, tur- that leads us into web two, uh, which is much more dynamic than the static web one allowed, uh, this, this phase of the web allowed people to not only consume content, but to create their own. Originally, uh, it was in the form of blogs like Tumblr, forums, uh, or even marketplaces like Craigslist, and publishing was taken to a whole new level with the rise of social media during Web 2. This has brought more concern and awareness over people's personal data that has been essentially harvested by tech giants. Google for search, Facebook for personal information and interest, Amazon for your purchase history, tendencies and interests. Uh, etc. These same companies turn that data into massive advertisement and marketing incomes uh, or revenue streams, where they are fundamentally monetizing people's personal information. While Web 2.0 has brought a wave of great services, oftentimes free, thanks to the monetization of data on the back end, there has been an emergence of people who believe individuals should have the right to monetize their own data. And that's where Web 3.0 comes in. So Web3 is a decentralized internet. And where Web2 was dynamic and allowed for read-write capabilities, Web3 is decentralized and expands capabilities to reading, writing, and owning content. In this new phase of the internet, people will be able to have more control and governance over the use of their personal data. This will allow people to become shareholders, not just customers or products. And the shares of ownership can be in the form of tokens or cryptocurrencies. You might be wondering what the technology behind this is, and you probably guessed it, but it's the blockchain. In Web3, anything has the potential to be tokenized. We're already seeing it in the form of art, memes, social media content, I know originally you know, the Charlie bit my finger video on YouTube uh, was sold. Uh, the rights to that was sold, and uh, as well as as tickets to events. There's been virtual concerts where people are paying uh, in in cryptocurrencies to attend virtually, and the use cases for this within web three will continue to grow with the rise of these decentralized applications and web three apps if you're looking for the next wave of great earning potential through coding and web development i would highly suggest becoming a web three developer and then you can thank me later i think that's where the new money is going to be made uh, with regards to web development also my personal opinion (laughs) The third major theme in the crypto and blockchain space is the metaverse. And with Mark Zuckerberg's embarrassing and hard to watch viral release video, you've likely already noticed that Facebook recently rebranded to Meta. I sure wish I would owned that meta.com domain name. I don't even know what they paid for it offhand, but I would assume a few million dollars. And CoinMarketCap, I like their definition of the metaverse because it is kind of hard to explain, but their definition is a metaverse is simply a wide expanse of digital space where users can interact with each other in real time and get similar experiences to what they experience in the real world, and in most cases, even more. Now, if you're a millennial, I like to use the popular game, The Sims, that many of us grew up with. As an example of this, imagine being able to be fully immersed into the Sims. While that doesn't necessarily appeal to me personally, that concept does appeal to a lot of folks. So that is something that will continue to grow. And as virtual reality becomes more of a thing, I, I think more and more people will participate in some sort of way within the metaverse. And I'll get into that here shortly. But some of the core features of the metaverse, uh, there's kind of four that I found. One is, is uh, the fact that it's infinite. The metaverse is an extension of what we define as real. Because it is not limited by the physical spaces of the world that we operate in, it can be said to be extending to infinity. So there's infinite possibilities of what the metaverse could, pot- could potentially do. The second core feature is Synchronous. It offers potentially billions of users the ability to interact in real time. Third core feature is the Thriving Economy. Since it is an extension to the real world, users have the option to offer and receive the same experiences that they would in the real world. For instance, an artist can host art shows, philosophers can hold discussions, colleagues can host meetings, and the list is simply endless. A simple token mechanism can be implemented for the exchange of value. And we're already seeing this today. We're seeing people buy real estate, a virtual real estate, virtual land within the metaverse. Uh, the, you know, There's a, one property that went for well over a million dollars because they wanted to be neighbors to Snoop Dogg inside the metaverse and you're already starting to see billboard ads internally within the metaverse uh, that are being paid for and a lot of that income is passed on to token holders uh, within that metaverse project the fourth core feature is uh, interoperability while you can't physically move between reality and the metaverse the metaverse is uh, interoperable in that the individual conceptions are easily portable within the metaverse. Uh, This will be more important once many metaverses are created, uh, such as Facebook's or or Meta's creating of special space for its users uh, or social space for its users, and even Microsoft creating dedicated co-working spaces in the metaverse as well. So eventually they will be, largely portable where you can you know, go from a social environment into a work environment all inside the metaverse and the biggest metaverse ecosystems today not including big techs adaptations are one being decentraland two being the sandbox and three blocktopia there are many more but those seem to be the largest players uh, within the metaverse uh, theme today so in summary, uh, now, now that this episode is, is wrapping up, I covered a lot of material. So go ahead and take a walk to, to calm your mind. As you can probably tell, I'm passionate about the potential of this technology. And I, I know of many ways to invest in each of these themes that if you want to, uh, learn more about how to invest in a, in a theme that you feel passionate about or want to Get behind or have some participation in. Uh, don't hesitate to reach out. And uh, if you're skeptical, if if so, I'll, I'll finish the episode with with this one thought: If you could have invested your money in the generic internet in the '90s, would you have? I think your answer is probably yes. And despite the fact that many tech companies failed during the tech bubble of 2000. Uh, there were many tech companies who came out of it with life-changing returns. And the same is true today. Uh, the great protocols and decentralized applications that that the blockchain technology has been able to uh, help create, I think the, the great ones will win out. And the great ones will provide life-changing returns for people. Uh, it's just hard to say because it is so early on which of those protocols or applications uh, will be the ones that ultimately went out. And there's a good chance that the one that will uh, hasn't been created yet. So we are very early on, but I do believe that this technology is the new opportunity that is comparable to the internet in the 90s. And lastly, I've read a lot of books and articles on these topics uh, that I'm happy to share some of those resources with you. I use a lot of the content for the DeFi portion of this podcast from the book, DeFi and the Future of Finance by Campbell Harvey, uh, as well as articles from Coindesk, CoinMarketCap, uh, and various medium blogs. But uh, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Hi, I'm Nick Riley, the founder of One Day Advice. If you like what you've heard, we'd greatly appreciate your help in spreading the word. After all, we are financial educators, not marketers. Thanks for listening, and remember to leave us a review. Nick Riley is the founder of One Day Advice, an independent, fiduciary, and fee-only registered investment advisor. Nick serves as a wealth advisor and educator to his clients. All opinions expressed by Nick and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of One Day Advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment or financial decisions.